Hi, everyone. This is Robert Allen. You're listening to the Meet the Masters podcast on the Wedding Podcast Network. And on today's show, I am very lucky to have actually a pair of masters with me. I am joined today by Ann David and Nikki Reinhardt from David Reinhardt Events. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for having us. And how did you get into this? Actually, well, we've had the company for a little over five years. And prior to that, I had worked in events basically from starting when I graduated from college, but working for the Olympics, and Nikki was doing corporate. Yeah, I was out in um, Los Angeles doing corporate events and then moved to New York when I got engaged, since we're talking about weddings. Worked for another planning company, event planning company, and met Anne, and and here we are. Now, was that a, a difficult transition for you from corporate work into into weddings or how, how did that go it well definitely it's different I mean you know Anna and I do specialize in weddings we you know every few times a you know a year we do a corporate event or another social event but there's not um the family dynamics and those kind of things are absent from the corporate but you know we right. like them that all. warm and fuzzy component yes you know is kind of absent you know, yeah yeah and I know it, it's really a very different vibe when you're doing a corporate event versus uh, versus a wedding because you, you you know you do get to know the family absolutely and I think you know we definitely with corporate backgrounds we're prepared to talk to fathers about budgets and whatnot but yeah it's we enjoy the social aspect of wedding so much more now you know when I talk to event planners we always look for those those bits of advice you know and uh, uh, when when a couple is starting off and making a decision to plan a wedding. What, you know, what do you find is kind of the trigger for someone to decide, well, I'm going to do this on my own, or if they're going to say, well, you know, I need help with this. Uh, are you finding any kind of, uh, uh, you know, a similarity in, in clients that you work with, uh, those who choose to use an event planner versus those that, that decide to kind of do it on their own? Well, I think, I, you know, I think a lot helps us if you know if the if they've been through it before if a family has had other children get married and they realize maybe that first time they didn't have a wedding planner and that come the day of the wedding they weren't able to enjoy themselves and that is really our you know our whole purpose is not only the night of the wedding but the whole process leading up to it is you know building a great team of florists and photographers and videographers and that everyone you have complete trust so that the day of your wedding you can sit back and be with your friends and your family and not have to worry about when's that first course coming out or when's that first dance going to be played. Yeah. Um, we always say that they should be guests at their own wedding, and I think with a wedding planner they feel that way. Yeah, and I, there are people that come to us, you know, sorry for interrupting, but if someone's in school, if they, don't, if they have a very, you know, hectic career, they then know that they won't be able to, you know, handle the day in and day out situations that come up with, you know, planning a wedding. So, so it could be, a, you know, a couple of, of things that would uh, dictate why someone would want to, you know, if they're very busy people or if they really want to, you know, and that's a good point you bring up about being a guest at your own wedding. Um, I mean, I know in my experience that, you know, in the weddings that I've worked on that haven't used event planners, and sure, there, you know, a hotel might have someone that they assign you and things like that, but it's still a constant barrage of coming over and asking questions and, and you know, we're ready to do this or we're ready to do that, and, and it just kind of takes the fun away in a sense. Um, so I find that, you know, I mean, when I'm at an event with an event planner and certainly when I've worked with you guys, you know, getting that timeline ahead of time and, and knowing who the players are and, 
where to be and when to be there is, is a huge benefit uh, on the day. Uh, and, you know, we think that the whole process should be a great experience. It should just be easy and work handling all the tasks that are a little bit more difficult or following up with vendors or, you know, making, you know, making those phone calls that they don't have time to do. Um, and so they enjoy the process. I mean, Nikki and I definitely have clients that are so much fun and we just enjoy the time that we spend together and it should be a fun process. It shouldn't be something that is like, Oh gosh, you know, I have to, you know, work on all this wedding stuff. It should be like, Oh God, I'm coming over to Nikki and Ann's office and right. you know, we're going to get these things done. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I think the planning process is part of the wedding experience and too often, uh, you know, brides and grooms are kind of dreading that, you know, and it becomes a, a burden on them. And I don't, you know, I don't think it should, it should really be like that. Well, and also not only just this, you know, the sense of a wedding and all the beautiful things that one thinks of, but logistical questions that might come up that a bride and groom or someone who's never done this before might not think of is second nature to us because we've done this for, I mean, and I together have, you know, I think over 15 years, 20 years experience doing events. So do we need a generator? Do we need valley parking? Do we need to have the septics pumped? I mean, all these things that someone right. might not think of. Right, until that second, day. Exactly. <laughs> or until yeah. the problem. Turning on yeah. sprinklers. <laughs> yeah, right. you know. Um, so those are second nature to us. So. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's, that's a, an excellent point. Um, now, talk about the process of how a, a couple comes to you. And, uh, you know, the, do you interview them? Do they interview you? Is it a little bit of both? How does that well, work? Well, you try to figure out if it's a good fit. Um, typically, most of the clients that come to us have been referred to us or, you know, some have seen editorial or now a web <laughs> webcast. Um, but they come into our office and, you know, we always encourage them to meet other planners also because it is a process that you want to be able to trust these you know, whoever your wedding planner is and be able to enjoy that process. Um, and we want it to be a good fit for us as well as for them. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of a, you know, if the personalities mesh, uh, well, because, you know, it's, it's, uh, a certain level of trust there, uh, you know, that they're placing in your hands to, you know, to, to guide them, you know, in the right direction and they've got to feel comfortable and you have to feel comfortable, mm-hmm. uh, as well. So I think that, uh, that's uh, important. Now, once a, a couple decides to, to go with you and they've contracted your services, uh, what's the process like? Do you, um, do you take guidance from them? Are you, you know, because I would imagine certain couples come to you with some definite ideas in their head and others are a blank slate. Uh, what are some of the first steps that you take in helping a couple plan their wedding? Well, I think, you know, securing a location and a date is the most important if they haven't already done that prior to coming to us. Um, Then the first thing we do with them is, you know, sit down and get to know a little bit more of their personalities, what their likes are and dislikes. And then we put together the planning schedule. And so they know that for the next six, nine months, year, that these are the things that we're trying to accomplish month by month. And ultimately, I mean... This is not our wedding, so it definitely we believe that all of our weddings are a true reflection of the bride and groom. So if they know they want to get married in a garden or by the beach or whatever the case is, we'll try to make that dream come true, but within realistic parameters. You know, do they have a budget? Um, what time of year are they thinking? How many people? And so we kind of help guide them whether they not they know they're getting married in their parents' backyard or they want to get married in the Hamptons. So where do we start from there? Right now, do you find that? 
when you're dealing with couples that most of the time their expectations are in line with what they they can really have or do they just <laughs> you know do you get some you know couples that come in and you know they've got these you know these ideas that there's just no way that you I can think make most work. of our clients are very savvy whether they you know as I mentioned that most of them come to us via referral whether they've been to our weddings or a friend of a friend or a parent or whatever the case is so they kind of know what's out there and a lot of them you know a lot of their friends have gotten married so they kind of know but it's still, I th- you know, I think that it's an educational process. I mean, they don't know how much flour should cost, so we have to help them and guide them in that way. But, you know, I think that expectation-wise, that's what Nikki and I really try to strive to, you know, have realistic expectations for those brides and grooms and, and you know, tell them, okay, this is your budget. Well, you know, we, we might have some restrictions or we might not, um, but... It's it's managing expectations. It's a big part of our job. Now, does that does the the budget become one of the sticking points in in a lot of weddings? Because I know there's you know a huge amount of information out there, whether it be in the magazines or, or on the internet, where you know there are numbers thrown out you know all the time on you know what what one thing should cost or what another thing should cost. How many you know how accurate is that you know or is it or is it depend when they talk you know, percentages? I think that you know that you should. Um, your wedding planner should be a certain percent of your budget. That's realistic. But when, you know, TV shows or magazines start saying that the average wedding is $20,000, that isn't the average wedding, you know. Well, at cost. least not in, you know, not in, in the major York's, metropolitan exactly. areas. Exactly. You know, if you're in a, you know, out on a farm in the Midwest somewhere and you're having cake and champagne. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, it can change just from New York to Cape Cod mm-hmm. to, you know, we're working on a wedding in, Austin, Texas. So, you know, definitely the budgets completely change from, you know, state to state, city to city. But it is a great, whether you have a very extravagant budget or you're on a realistic one, whatever the case may be, it definitely is something that should be decided early on because it's it's pointless to introduce a client to a florist that will then say, well, you can have everything. Oh, I'm sorry, your your budget is only X. Well, let's take this back. Let's take this back. So it's definitely something that we um, we like to kind of get set early on in the planning, right? Because I would imagine then, if you know they, they have the heart set on a, on a particular you know floral designer, that you know if they and and their budget is not you know doesn't work for them, then you know you're kind of setting them up for disappointment because mm-hmm. like exactly. like you said, you know you have to take things out yeah. and then suddenly you know they're left they with feel kind that of this they bare have, bones exactly, which is not the case because you can have a beautiful wedding. You know, we've been challenged before to do weddings for a particular magazine where they said you have $10,000. Well, we thought of a beautiful reception for $10,000. So you can make anything work. It's just exactly going back to what Anne said, you know, realistic expectations. Now, what are, are some of the ways that couples can save money when they're, they're planning their wedding? Are there certain things? Like I know, uh, you know, obviously time of year might have something to do with with wedding costs. What about days of the week? Are, are you doing more midweek weddings? Yeah, well, there's definitely room for negotiation when it is not a Saturday night, for sure, that if you're talking to the band and their typical fee is X amount, you can say, you know, is there is there any negotiation within that? Um, Our weddings typically do um, end up on Saturday nights or for religious purposes on Sundays, but there are people that they get married on Thursdays or Fridays, and I think, you know, a lot of these venues, they'll be able to book on Saturday as well, so there might be a little, you know, wiggle room. Okay. Now, in dealing with with vendors, uh, how involved are you guys? Is it just a recommendation? Are you actually taking these meetings together with your clients and the vendors? How does that process work? 
Well, when they hire us, you know, we're a full serving, um, full service planning um, company. So when they hire us, we attend every meeting. We refer them to various vendors, or they might come to us saying that they've heard of these three photographers, and we'll give them, you know, our advice. And if they're great, they're great. And if not, we'll say, if you like their style, there's someone else you should consider. Again, it goes back to price point and style and what have you. But Anna and I typically do attend every meeting with the client. And we pride ourselves on really, you know, making a good match between vendors and, and clients, you know, that they are, they understand each other, they have a great sense of style, and they, they know what the client wants. And um, but also personality-wise. I mean, we say for a photographer or videographer, you want to like feel very comfortable with this person because they're going to be around you all day long. So you, it, it, it is something where that is a real, really important thing on the day of the wedding, for right. sure. More right. so than maybe you know, getting to know a band leader because you know, they're not with you side by side. Right. I always day. use the example of you know, the chef has to cook wonderful food. But, you know, it doesn't really matter if he has a horrible or she has a horrible personality because you're not <laughs> right. going to have any interaction. Mm-hmm. But exactly. if your photographer or your videographer is a real creep, uh-huh. you know, how is that going to make you feel? Because there is that tremendous amount of, of interaction. Yeah. So Absolutely. You know, that's a good point. There you're sharing so, so many intimate moments and, right. and what have you. Right. There, you, know, you, you know, I always consider myself when I'm, I'm picked by a client, you know, to be kind of led into that inner circle, you know, of, of where family, you know, is you know most of the time and then you know here it is you know we're a virtual stranger and being let in and i think personality really does play a big part in in that comfort level absolutely now what are some of the uh, trends that you're seeing in uh in weddings i know there's always talk you know and our listeners you know bring up uh, the point of they want to have some sort of a a theme to their wedding and, and it might not be something you know extravagant but a certain you know certain thing that might tie everything together. Are you seeing more of that uh, with couples? I think we've always had that within our paper products, that there was a consistent theme from Save the Date to the Invitation to the Ceremony Program. Um, But I think for the day of the wedding, we're we're tending to do um, more of the sit-down dinner and then a party afterwards because that's typically the biggest complaint that people couldn't talk because the band was too loud during dinner. Um, we also tend to keep our cocktail hours to an hour. That is another big complaint. And, and also start the ceremony, ceremony as close to time. the call time. Yeah. So if it says 6 o'clock, start, you know, try to start at 6.10 if you have to, but not the 6.30, 6.40. Right, and having just people kind of hanging around. Uh, talk a little bit more about the, the whole cocktail hour process. I know that there have been situations we've done weddings where, you know, they want to extend the cocktail hour to an hour and a half or two hours. Uh, what's your opinion on that? I mean, it just does it, does it work? Well, sometimes, I mean, we never would push it to two hours, but sometimes, whether it be that the kitchen's not ready, you know, there, sometimes it might be, reasons un you know known to everyone that you have to kind of push it but i would say 99 percent of the time it's it's one hour and you know to move 300 people yes that does take some time but um we like to keep it to an hour generally now how do guests react to a wedding that is a little bit uh different in terms of timing like you said where you're you're serving dinner straight through as opposed to the you know the up and down up and down, um, are guests kind of warming to that? Oh, I think yeah, absolutely, it. absolutely. I think it's you know that they it's a it's a different feeling, it's a different vibe of a wedding, and and, um, and there's always it, music playing. I mean, it's you know right. beautiful soft music in the background, and 
sometimes we open the room and we do the first dance and get that done with and maybe do a, a short dance set and then it's first course, second course, you know, consistently back to back. And then the dancing for the group, you know, starts. But there's always beautiful music playing and, and the energy is really nice. But, you know, you can definitely talk to the person next to you. You can move around. I don't have to worry about, oh, the food's coming down. I got to go sit down now and, and all that. Right. So and then you can get the toasts kind of out of the way, mm-hmm. you know, during dinner. I mean, certainly it's, mm-hmm. it's appropriate to have, Absolutely. you know, people get up and, and give a toast, you know, during dinner um, as well. But it's very interesting. I had gotten a call. Uh, just last week, from a mother of um, of actually mother of the groom, who was, who was kind of doing the shopping for video, and and we talked a little bit because she was totally thrown by this idea of her future daughter in law wanting to do this kind of straight through dinner rather than the the traditional you know eat your salad, get up and dance for twenty minutes, sit down, your, you know your second course, you know that kind of a thing, and it was really. You know, I kind of had to talk her through it because, uh, you know, personally, myself, the first few weddings that I did that way, it was, you know, it was a bit different. It didn't sit as well with me as it does now. But I actually prefer that uh, where you let people enjoy their dinner the way they would if they were in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, you think about it, you go out to dinner, you don't get up after eating your salad and, you know, hang out for 20 minutes and then come sit down. You kind of, you know, that flow. Now, does that open up opportunities for couples in terms of a venue? that maybe, you know, might be laid out a little bit different mm-hmm. where, you know, the room couldn't accommodate a dance Absolutely. floor. Um, I know we've done lots at, at the Metropolitan Club here in New York. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the locations that kind of, you know, lends itself to that because, you know, the rooms, although beautiful, uh, I know the room upstairs doesn't, you know, if you have a lot of guests, it can be tight with the dance floor up there. And same with some of the hotels, you know, where the ceremony was to, you know, go upstairs and have the sit-down dinner while they're changing over, you know, the ceremony room to an after party. Um, it absolutely opens up so many venues for brides and grooms that maybe they couldn't consider having a dance floor and the 200 people, but now they can having... Yeah, setup. so sometimes it's the you know the, your guest count dictates it, mm-hmm. or it could just be the the feel that you want of your wedding. We've done tent weddings where obviously a tent can be as large as it could be, and we've done it before where we've had the illusion that when you walk into the main tent, it just looks like it's a there's no dance floor. It's just you know all dining room tables or what have you, dinner tables, and then unbeknownst to the guest behind. You know, a curtain is an additional tent that's the dance tent. Right. So it's Just the same. Take, take one wall down and mm-hmm. then suddenly. Exactly. So it's the same yeah, effect that this. you go to a beautiful dinner party, beautiful music playing, toast, what have you. And then there's and then, this reveal that, mm-hmm. you know, shows this fantastic tent with a large band and the dance floor and lounge furniture. And also, a lot of our clients um, tend to kind of want that after party lounge feel. And these kind of two separate spaces can kind of. It lends nicely into that because then you could put around the dance floor couches and ottomans and little cocktail tables or whatever it is, so that dinner's behind you and now you can just kind of and it kind know, of hang releases out. you from mm-hmm. the you know behind the table mm-hmm. kind of, of of situation, uh, you know, and getting up and and kind of moving around. Now let's talk a little bit about uh, the weddings that you do that kind of turn into an entire weekend event. Are are you doing a lot of those types of of weddings? We actually just came back from Vail, Colorado, where we're doing a hoedown on Friday night, and we have a mechanical bull and a sharpshooter, and we actually are bringing a gentleman up from Texas that is going to fit everyone's head with, you know, custom-fit cowboy hats, and um, and then we're doing the wedding the next day. So, 
if you're doing a destination wedding, you do need to think about entertaining your guests throughout the, the weekend. So for some bride and, brides and grooms, they're thinking, oh, I'd love to do a destination wedding, but if they're not prepared to really host an entire weekend, they might want to consider to do something where it's just the wedding. Now, if a couple, now is it just just destination weddings? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that you know, anyone can have a weekend-long wedding. Absolutely. You know, well, even and also in, in their hometown. world. I mean, we just did a wedding two weeks ago that the bride and groom live in New York, but the bride's family is from you know, North Carolina. So to them, it's a destination wedding. So they hosted a brunch on Sunday, and they had the big rehearsal dinner for 200 people on Friday night. So anywhere can become a destination. I mean, in the world we live in, no one is getting married in their hometown. Right. So people are always traveling. Well, some people are, but right. yeah, but some people are, but right. you know. But then there's always people. You know, very in. rarely is it mm-hmm. just you know just the people Everyone. that are just in in town. Um, now, what if you know you have a situation like that where um, you know there are lots of guests coming in from out of town, but a couple wants to have a uh, rehearsal dinner that's a bit more intimate? Do you have to invite everyone? You know, who's come in you know, to the rehearsal dinner house? How do you handle it? I mean, there's a couple ways to do it. I mean, depending on who's in your bridal party and and where your family is coming from, we've suggested that perhaps it's done two nights before the wedding. So if you're getting married on a Saturday, maybe the rehearsal dinner is on a Thursday night. Okay. And then Friday night is more of the meet and greet, everyone's in town. Or you could just do it earlier on a Friday and, you know, maybe have everyone meet at a certain bar or at a club at 9 o'clock or 9.30 so then have the rehearsal dinner first with a smaller group and then kind of create something that exactly. would Find involve another everybody. Exactly, location where everyone else could come. Cool, great. Um, now, what about, you know, one of the things that I've, I've experienced now with, with weddings, with, with dinner especially and, and the reception room, is people are getting away from traditional tables and, you know, the 8-topper, the 10-topper, the and going with, you know, different shapes of tables, whether they be long tables or square tables. Are you seeing uh, that in, in, in design, in room design? Definitely. And the long tables, um, we find that you can actually talk to more people than you can at a round. I mean, typically at a round table, you're talking to the two people next to you and then maybe that person next to them. But at um, a rectangular table, you can talk to the two people across from you, the people next to you. It just, there's more room for conversation, we think. But a lot of times it, it all goes back to, you know, if you have 300 people in a certain room, only rounds can accommodate that number. But if you have the flexibility, it's just it's an interesting thing for the eye to have a little mosaic and have some different things than just a typical 30 round tables, which I think to a lot of people, you think of like a hotel banquet or you think of right. kind of a that kind of, you know, vision comes to mind where, you know, the centerpieces are all the same. And we, you know, tend to do it where, um, you know, that you're every table on its own, maybe the same flowers, but are there different containers or different groupings to make the room interesting when you walk in? whether it be how the tables are laid out or is it the centerpieces are slightly different or is it the lighting, but to make the room not just a generic repeat on every table. Right, where everything looks kind of cloned. You know, mm-hmm. each right. table is exactly the same. And I guess, you know, people are just kind of, you know, used to that and, and think that, you know, oh, that's the way it should be. And, and, and you know, it's, it's funny because in all my years of doing weddings, and I'm sure in years of you doing weddings, you know, we've never seen the rule book. You know, everyone says, oh, this is what you have to do or this is what you should do. But, you know, well, show me where that's, you know, written. You know, you can basically do whatever it is that's in your heart and in your mind 
of what you know of course within reason you don't really want to keep in in good taste certainly um but there are no rules really you can do you know there are i mean there's definitely traditions that we tend to stick to i mean obviously nikki and i being fairly young and um we definitely have a different approach to planning a wedding and i think that appeals to our brides and grooms and we'll give them every option i mean we'll be like we have very thick skin but at least we have are able to tell them okay you can do rounds you can do rectangulars you can do squares and then they can decide you know what i've always thought i'd be you know married in a ballroom with round tables and we're like great so but at least they know what the options are now do you ever run into situations where there's you know too many people trying to plan this wedding Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> <laughs> they say emphatically. <laughs> How do you, you know, you guys? Too many must, cooks in the kitchen. You know, you you guys must, you know, really kind of have to be much more than just event planners, but almost like psychologists in a sense, and, and diplomats, and, and diplomats, <laughs> and trying to keep, you know, the bride sane and and you know her mother or mother in law, you know. Uh, in the mix, you know. Well, it's, it's such an emotional, sensitive time for everyone, and I think everyone their intentions are always the best. But they always, everyone has an opinion, and um, and it's just really, you know, we ultimately think of, you know, who is our client, and if it's the bride, and she's like, I really don't want pink everywhere, then it's, you know, it's our place to then tell that person who's suggesting pink, you know, it's really, she really wants to do this, or maybe we can somehow do it in the cocktails or something, but our purpose is to really make the client, you know, their wishes come true. But, you know, compromise is something that every bride really needs to to think about when planning a wedding because it is one evening and it's a very important evening but you don't want to ruin a relationship over pink or not pink mm-hmm. so right. um, something to consider right so brides shouldn't have you know you know think that they're in this alone that it really is you know there's more and, and you know how often are the grooms involved in this process I'd say more often the groom's mothers are involved <laughs> but you know that's it you're also not only dealing with your own mother and your own relationship with her but you're welcoming this whole new family and that you know hopefully will be with you for a very long time and you have to be sensitive to their wants and demands and it is it might be their son's first wedding or only wedding or first child getting married and they are entertaining their friends as well so that's where it's just trying to you know make sure that everyone's happy i think most of our brides too definitely uh think about their groom when they're planning this so they might not be at every meeting but they do go home afterwards and they discuss it because i think more so now our brides and our grooms are are a little bit older and that they are planning this together um even though their parents might be involved or they're flying in for a couple of meetings here and there it the wedding is a reflection of them for sure now in situations where a groom chooses to not be involved is that more difficult? Do you, you kind of worry a little bit? You know, because, I mean, obviously, you know, guys, we have opinions. You know, I can't imagine there's any groom that doesn't have an opinion, but they choose to remove themselves. Is that a safe thing to do? Well, I just hope that the bride is communicating to the groom. I mean, we have definitely met grooms, too, um, at the rehearsal at the church so or synagogue. So, you know, it is something that as long as we know that it's being communicated that how the flow of the evening is going to happen, that there's no surprises to him, even though he hasn't been involved, that, yeah, that all of a sudden we're going to show up that night and say, well, exactly. I hate roses. Exactly. <laughs> well, and typically, you know, even with the grooms that are busy, they tend to go to the tasting Right. And they also do the, like, the last music meeting. And at the tasting and at the music meeting, we definitely talk to them about the flow of the evening and what's going to happen. And any um, big dislikes what, they have or right. what have you. 
once again, managing expectations. Right. And hopefully it's not too late to change some, right. some things if, right. if necessary. And but those if things the, are about a month out mm-hmm. prior to the wedding. So yeah. we do have time to, to make any adjustments. Right. It's not like sure. the Wednesday before. The but Saturday. if the groom, I mean, obviously, <laughs> you know, if, if the groom has a very modern style, the bride more often than not will probably have the same aesthetic because many times they live together. So she's not going to pick this overly romantic, flouncy, lacy thing if what she lives with every day is probably very sleek and contemporary. So we've never had a problem as far as decor, knock on wood. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> just, you know, right. just little things, just little things. Now, now, I need your opinion about something, and I kind of you know, have my own opinion about this. And I've, you know, I have, kind of have this pet peeve about dance lessons for the couple. <laughs> What's your you pet know? peeve? I mean, not to just, do well, it's just, you know, to me, a first dance should be this emotional connection of like, you know, this is an amazing moment, you know, we're in. And, you know, I see these couples that do these these dance lessons, and they're so concerned with, you know, getting it right that they're missing the moment, you know, in this first dance. And, you know, I just... Well, I think, you know, traditionally it used to be that when you date dated someone way back when you used to go out and you used to go dancing. I mean, a lot of times our brides and grooms need suggestions for first dance songs because they don't have that song. Right. Um, and many of them don't feel comfortable dancing in front of or slow dancing. Like if they do dance, they go to clubs or whatever. They just don't know how to move together. Right. And so when it is overly orchestrated, like you're saying, it is a little, a little, it just kind of looks, you know, very rarely, I mean, it looks like they took dance lessons, right. you know, right. and I guess, I mean, that's the point that you want to avoid, right? You want it to look fluid. We had, we had a client yeah. a couple weeks ago who was saying that they've never danced like slow dance together. And I was like, even if you're up there just kind of hugging and like moving, that's better than doing some dirty dancing routine. Yeah, and then just do it for 30 or 45 seconds and then invite, you know, everyone else. And there, are, there are those little tricks in the trade. Is it that you take a song and shorten it? Or do you invite people in halfway through or, or whatever we've, the case Or we've is. done it where it's been um, the bridesmaids and groomsmen have gone up there and danced because they knew that, you know, this couple did not like to dance or be kind of major center of attention. So right. we've tapped the groomsmen on the shoulder being like, ask the girl that you walked down the aisle to to go <laughs> dance. So immediately the dance floor is filled, and that's a great way to get a lot of people up and dancing. Right, and then people too. are just kind of, you know, there and, and, and you don't see it. But it's just that, you know, it... it it looks so contrived, and it well, especially looks, you're you know, you're definitely analyzing it too. Yeah, your you know, camera, seeing so. that it's just you know how, you know how often do you you know you bow to one another and you do this you know this fancy <laughs> well, and it's just funny. you know. And I saw this one um, video once, and all we remember is the dance lesson because it was such a orchestrated, choreographed, silly. I mean, and I promise you, I went to a wedding years ago of a girlfriend's, hope you're not listening, a girlfriend's <laughs> sister, and I had, to go into the, I had to go into the bathroom and call friends because they had learned the song, the, the last final song from Dirty Dancing. I mean, down to the jump and everything. Uh-huh. And it was comical. I mean, it becomes comical. There's nothing romantic or special or, one, like, you know, you don't, get tears in your eyes when you he's like you got to be kidding me yeah you know you just want to see that that emotion and i always say listen if you're going to take dance lessons you better be prepared to practice two or three times a week and and all that but you know the one thing that i think a lot of couples don't think of is you know they're dancing they're learning the dance to the recording of of the song and then you know they're in their jeans and they're dancing they don't have this big 
wedding gown on and the heels that they're going to be dancing. And then the band is playing it at a slightly different tempo mm-hmm. than what they've practiced. Or it's to. a male vocal versus a female. You know, and then it the throws them, you know, completely off, you know, and then you know, all you see is them trying to count and, and stay back, you know, in, 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 you know, in the steps instead of so being the involved. So the lesson for everyone who's listening. Exactly. <laughs> and we don't want to, you know, you no, know. But going back to like the father-daughter dance, I mean, Nikki's always like, are you crying again? I mean, that is highly emotional and that's just a beautiful just thing between, you know, that the dads have been waiting since, you know, their daughter was born for this dance. And that's when it's a truly emotional, sweet dance that, you know, you're watching. And yeah, and then I've, I've seen these, you know, control freak brides that have tried to get their dads to take you oh, know, really? dance oh, lessons with them right. and just, you know, just, you know, worry about the moment, that, just get into the emotion. I think the person who wants the orchestrated dance is the one that wants the whole night to be, you know, just perfect. And there, there needs to be some spontaneous things that happen because right. that's what makes the night so special and just sure. so meaningful. Sure. I mean, it's, it, you know, a wedding is a living, breathing entity unto itself. It should, you can't micromanage it should just kind every, of, you know, mm-hmm. evolve as it, you know, as it evolves, as it's supposed to. And that's what, you know, with Anne and I, you know, going back to our purpose, I mean, we want to make the night seamless so that it seems that everything just kind of flowed together. Obviously there were many meetings that took place and there's a very detailed timeline, but right. it is our role to make sure that it goes off without a hitch, but to everyone else, it just seems like it just kind of happened effort, you know, right. like, you know, simple, just, you know, mm-hmm. we just opened up the box and, and everything just, you know, marched out, but it's, you know, there's a tremendous amount of work that goes into making it look so simple um, that people don't, don't you know, even realize. Robert, I think that, you know, one of the main things that we do ask our brides and grooms on our first couple of meetings is what do you want people to say when they're leaving the wedding? You know, what is it that feeling that they're, you know, oh my gosh, that was so beautiful or that was so romantic or, oh my gosh, I had so much fun. Um, what is that? What What do you want your guests leaving at the end of the night thinking right. about your wedding? Right. That overall impression, I think, is really what, you know, you kind of need to look forward, uh, you know, ahead to uh, in that. Now, you know, we, we're talking about, you know, the, all the weddings and things that, that you've planned. And um, I know you guys have done a lot of high profile weddings. Uh, are those different to plan than, than just kind of your regular weddings? How do celebrity weddings differ in, in the planning process? I mean, I think they might be you know, their day, their day job is a little more pampered. So I think they might expect that. But at the end of the day, there's still two people getting married. They still have families, still have dynamics. They still have emotions. So that at the end of the day, it's still, they're getting married to each other and they're happy and they're sad and they're moved and they're this and but they're you know you you might have to hold their hand a little more or maybe there's, there's security a, yeah, lo- there's you know. a couple more logistics that go into it for sure yeah. and you know but i think also it's a very private moment for them and they have so few in their life that you know we really try to respect that and and make them feel like like real people mm-hmm. uh, you know even though there might be kind of this this outside world you know, going on around them and, and things. And I know one of the weddings that we worked on together was uh, was Geraldo Rivera um, and his, his wife, uh, Erica. Um, what were some of the challenges with, with that particular wedding for you guys? Well, you know, Erica definitely, I mean, it was definitely her little, you know, love child. I mean, she'd planned that from the second they got engaged. I mean, to the point that she surprised him throughout the planning process she tried thinking of ways that was kind of you know owed to Geraldo and she had for cocktails she had three beautiful you know Spanish guitarists playing um, you know 
to salute his heritage. She surprised him. He loves sailing, so she surprised him with a beautiful groom's cake that was a you know replica. I think from one of the people that you spoke yeah, to, yeah, Robin, Robin Israel, Israel right. um, replica of his sailboat. So there were things. I think he calls it a yacht. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> you can tell I'm not on the high seas much. Um, but there were you know things that she tried doing because obviously he'd been married before, and so she wanted to make this special and, and different, and and really took the time to um, to find you know things that would make it stand out. And they got married in a beautiful temple and had a beautiful, you know, evening with all their friends and family and incorporated his children into the ceremony and his right. family. And, right. And, um, and it was, and, you know, and for such a high-profile wedding, uh, it was very emotional. There were really moments where you could tell how moved they both were, you know, by, by their guests and, and the toasts that were given and, and things like that. Uh, and it really just goes back to the point of, you know, they're just people, you know, with a different day job. You know, and all that. Now, what were some of the other uh, celebrity weddings that you've, you've done that you can actually talk about? I know that there, you know, with, with you know, people out there, our listeners, um, you know, when you do high-profile weddings, quite often, you know, we enter into confidentiality agreements that we can't really talk about details and things like that. Uh, but what were some of the other other weddings that, that you guys have worked on? Um, we worked on Elizabeth Vargas and Mark Cohn, and that was a truly special wedding. He surprised her with... Um, a song and that was just a very intimate special wedding you know a hundred people um in new york city but going back to you know geraldo's wedding some other weddings that we've done it is interesting it's almost you do have to give the public that one moment or that one picture because they do want to see you if it's walking out of a synagogue or a church that they want to know what she was wearing what that dress was so typically if it is in a church or synagogue that's a public place where we do have paparazzi out in front it's that one picture that they get so everyone will leave them alone for the rest but um and Geraldo and Erica did do that and it was a beautiful picture yeah I think they need to think about their their public you know Mm -hmm. their fans and all you know that's that's part of the equation in a sense Uh, and I think you know quite often uh, you know you hear a lot of negativity about couples that refuse to kind of give that opportunity uh out and I think you know, if you if they did, they'd be it would, left it, alone. It, that yeah, much more. You know, I know the hunt you know, wouldn't be as it would be, you, you know, know these helicopters flying over and everything. Just give you know the public that moment uh, of you know wanting to share in in that um, you know and, and and do that so that you know. If, but if I any think of with our, our job, we all respect the fact that you know they might not want to do it, but it is it is very gracious when they do. Right, and I think it's it's appreciated by both the paparazzi and their. Uh, and they're fans. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's a, it certainly takes a huge amount of pressure off of, of the couple and having uh, professionals like yourselves uh, there on site. And, and I think what makes it so unique, besides the fact that you're both so sweet and wonderful to be around, is that you do work as a team. And, uh, and having that is a huge advantage um, in, in having both of you there in, in, in taking care of the things that need to take care of. So... Um, I think that's something a, a couple should consider when, when picking their uh, event planners. Well, thank you. Yeah, and right back at you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we love working with yeah, it's you. It's a big love fest. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's just wonderful. We're all sitting in each other's lap at the moment. Uh, <laughs> you haven't been able to. It's all Almost. one microphone. It's just one microphone. And, uh, I want to thank you both for, uh, for taking the time. 
Uh, I know you've shut off your phones now for the last uh, 45 minutes or so. Calls are piling up, but I do appreciate you taking the time and sharing your, uh, your expertise and your knowledge with our listeners. I'm sure that everyone uh, who has listened to this podcast has gotten a lot out of it. And I wanted to just remind our listeners that can uh, send us feedback if you have any questions. If there are any questions for Nikki and Ann, uh, you can uh, send that to feedback at the WPN.com. And we'd be happy to, uh, to have those questions answered. And we also have a toll-free listener line. That's a 24-hour hotline. If you'd like to call us and leave your questions or your comments, you can reach us at 800-882-1259. And we'd love to hear from you. You have been listening to the Meet the Masters podcast with Ann David and Nikki Reinhardt from David Reinhardt Events. And this is only available on the Wedding Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.